All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in John 3, John chapter 3. We'll start in verse 23 and uh, look through verse 30 this morning, but John um, chapter 3 is where we'll be. Um, again, just want to say happy Father's Day as you're turning there. Um, uh, and just if you're visiting with us, again, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, if we can serve you in any way, uh, if you're uh, one of ours family here, uh, we just want to say thank you uh, for joining us again on, on being here on Father's Day. Uh, and so, uh, as you know, for me, my heart's desire week in and week out is to give you the full counsel of God, is to uh, look at God's word and um, let's just break it down, let's walk through it almost like a running commentary. And so again, for Father's Day, we're gonna do the same thing and we're gonna be taking our uh, scripture from John chapter three this morning. Um, and so there's no 10 steps on how to be a better father, a better dad, there's, no, there's none of that. It's just God's word is what we're gonna look at because what I believe with everything in me is that's what helps us uh, be holy. We're looking for holy, we're not looking for good. That's what we want, we want holy. We wanna be changed, transformed into the image of uh, the son. We want God to work us over and, and change us to be more like him and less like us. And so my belief, uh, just what I've seen in the scriptures and just what I've come to learn myself is the best way to do that is to uh, jump in God's word and let the Holy Spirit just work on us. Let, let God, by way of his word and his truth, uh, work on us. And so that's what we're gonna uh, do here this morning in this place. And so. Man, we just, we just want God to just work and move, whether you're dad, whether you're mom. Uh, we don't want to seclude anybody, but we want to speak to, to everybody in here because I believe with everything in me that this is a divine appointment that we've got this morning, that, that God has brought you to this place, whether you were invited, whether you come to see a crazy guy kiss a frog. Okay, there's a couple of you for that. I'll just be praying harder that the Holy Spirit work harder on you next time. But um, and whatever the reason is, however you got here, to see kids dance around and sing and st on stage and lead us, uh, whatever the motive for being here, I just believe that that's a divine appointment uh, by God and he specifically wants to say something to you, whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're a college student, whether you're a, a middle school student, whoever you are, I just believe that God wants to uh, speak to you this morning and he's gonna do that by way of his word uh, and he's gonna use the Holy Spirit to just uh, uh, convict and draw and woo. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior and I just believe the Holy Spirit will draw you to himself. He'll show you who he truly is. And so uh, we're going to just jump in God's word and let God do what he does best and it's convict the heart of man. It's draw man and woman to himself. And so I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray before we jump in. Lord Jesus, we need you so desperately in this place. And so God, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would move. God, that you would invade the hearts of the people in this place. And God, I pray you start with me. God, you, you know us like none other. And so God, we pray that, that you would just start to work on us and shape us and mold us and draw us to yourself all the more. God, help us be less like us and more like you. God, we don't wanna be good, we wanna be holy. And the only way that we're holy is by, uh, by you, you're working in us and through us. So God, change our hearts, change our lives, change everything about us. Jesus, speak this morning in this place. God, you have freedom to do whatever you see fit in this place this morning. May it all be for you. In name we pray, amen. All right, so John chapter three, what we have here is Jesus finishes speaking to Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus um, is a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. And so his story is found in John chapter three leading up to where we'll be this morning. And so what happens with Nicodemus is he comes to Jesus in the night and he says that, that we know that you're a teacher from God, that you're a good teacher from God because of all the miracles that you've been doing. There's something different about you is what Nicodemus says. Uh, the way that you heal, the way that you do all that you're doing, God has got his hand on you in essence is what Nicodemus 
Nicodemus is saying. And so Jesus responds to that uh, because Nicodemus asks something about salvation and Jesus responds that you must be born again. And so the thing we know about Nicodemus is he gets a little confused about this. But he shouldn't because he should know the law, he should know the things of God, but he, he doesn't understand that statement that Jesus makes. And so he and Jesus have this dialogue in John uh, chapter three there leading up to these verses that we're gonna look at and has this dialogue about, about what it means to be born again, what that statement that Jesus made, uh, what that means. And then from this portion of scripture, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus uh, lands us at what we would know to be probably the the most famous Bible verse of all time, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see Jesus and Nicodemus have that conversation. Jesus lands there and tells him that. And so when that conversation kind of ends, the scene shifts to the Judean countryside where Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. And so what was this all about was just a part of the way that Jesus would gather a following. When they would be baptized, it would signify their repentance and their faith. That's what baptism would do. And so John chapter 3, starting in verse 23, and we'll just start to work through uh, these verses. This is what God's word says, John three twenty-three. John also was baptizing in Anion near Salim uh, because water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been put in prison. So John hasn't been arrested yet, not in prison. So we have Jesus and he kind of his disciples, his group baptizing. And then we have John and his group also baptizing. And that's what's taking place. Verse 25, it says, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew. And this discussion had to do with purification. And so for some reason, whatever reason, we're not really told in the scriptures, this triggers a dispute over purification between uh, John's disciples and this certain Jewish man. Uh, they start to dialogue and talk back and forth, and that's all we're told. Uh, the debate is never uh, zoomed in on, and we never get more information. That This is all that we're told. That's never described. And so, in fact, what happens is some of John's disciples come to John with this issue. And really, it doesn't even really sound like a purification issue because they start to kind of talk about some things here in verse 26. And they, John's disciples, came to John. And they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And so what they notice, what they see is that Jesus is over there baptizing and as he's baptizing, you've got these flocks of people that are even leaving John and going to Jesus to be baptized. And so purification doesn't even seem to be the main issue that, that, that flows from this. It doesn't even seem to even be on the radar. And what we know from these scriptures is that it's never referred to again. It just seems to get things started, to start a discussion, a conversation, and then it kind of just disappears. And so what we do see in the next three verses is that John the Baptist, he takes this conversation in direction that would appear to have nothing to do with purification, but on the contrary, it would have everything to do with who Jesus is. It would have everything to do with who John is. It would have everything to do with what's happening in the two ministries of these two men. It would have everything to do with how John responds to all of this stuff that's going on. Who he is, who Jesus is, their ministries, what they're doing, baptizing. It would show us how John responds to all that's going on. And so verse 27 tells us this, John answers. So he responds to him, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. I mean, is that not a wise statement? You can receive nothing unless it's given to you from heaven. See, John understands and sees and knows who gives, who, who grants, who bestows. 
And so John answers is, is the reason that people are leaving him and going to Jesus is because that's what God's called them to do. That's what God's ordained. God is giving them to Jesus. And so what he's telling his disciples is, hey, this is part of God's plan. This is what God's doing. God's working and doing. God's the one that's granting and giving. In verse 28, it says this, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, so he says, you know this, you bear this witness, you know, you know what I've said, and this is what I have said, that I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. And so John, in essence, tells his disciples, this shouldn't surprise us. There's no surprise to this, because God from the very beginning sent John for this very thing, to be a front runner, to be a forerunner. He knew, John knew and understood that people would turn to him to turn to Jesus, he knew that and understood that, and he was good with that. See, John would gather people and then give them up. That's God's plan from the very beginning. John knew his calling. John was aware of that, and John was okay with that. It wasn't a popularity contest. It wasn't who was the best preacher. Yeah, well, Jesus is pretty good, but John the Baptist isn't bad either. I mean, there was never none of that. It was posted on social media. Who's the, there was none of that. John understood his calling and what God was uh, commissioning him for. And then look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this. It says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. A bit confusing there, wasn't it? John makes this statement and says some things. And it's like, what is he even saying? We'll, we'll jump to that here in a few minutes. But, but what we see in the first chapter of the book of John, we, we see this reality of who John is. We get to know who John is. John 1.8 says that he is not the light. That's what John 1.8 says. We, we know that that's what the scriptures tell about John. He's not the light. John 1.20 says that he is not the Christ. John 1.21 says that he is not Elijah and not the prophet. John 1.23 does let us know who he is. as He describes it this way. He's just a voice crying in the wilderness. That's what the scriptures say about John. So John knows who he is. John knows his place. John knows what God's calling him to do and what God's calling him to be. He even goes on in John 1, 27, and John makes this statement. He says that he is not worthy to unstrap Jesus' sandals, not to even loosen the strap from his sandals. So, so John knew and was aware of who he is. He knew what his calling was. He knew what God had commissioned him for. And so what we see in these scriptures already leading up to John chapter three in the first chapter of John is that John has humbled himself. He's already exalted Christ. He's already made much of who Jesus is, lifted him high, and so all that John says here in, in verses 27 through 30, I believe just represents a beautiful response to who Jesus truly is. It, it represents a, a response that needs to be had, a response that needs to be lived out. And so my question for you this morning, church, is this, who do you say that Jesus is? H have you come to the place and landed at the place to realize and understand who you are in comparison to who Jesus is? I mean, he's Savior, he's Messiah, not us. He works and he moves and he does, not us. If we do, it's him in us allowing and doing and working and willing. But John has arrived at the place of who Jesus is. And he does it in two ways. He does it with his mouth. As he corrects his disciples here, as he shows his disciples when in, in ultimate reality, the disciples of John are the same disciples of Jesus because they both belong to the same way. John's not, somebody, John's not somebody coming along to kind of contradict or try to no, supersede or, or overgo who Jesus is. No, no, John is, they're on the same team. And I just love that. 
There's no fight, there's no argument, there's no, uh, that Jesus guy. No, John's for him. John's pushing that way. No, absolutely, I understand. And so John does that. He, he um, says and responds to who Jesus is with his mouth, but then also his actions. Also his actions, the way that he's lived, the things that he's done. I mean, he's out there baptizing, all for the glory and honor of God. So that by the way he talks, by the way he lives. So John's showing by his mouth and his actions the response that is present in his heart, is he not? What's well, in's coming out. There's no other choice. That will be revealed, that will be made known. And so this is just a response that in that day, as well as ours, people may find hard to understand, may not get it. The response is abounding joy over himself getting smaller and Jesus getting bigger. That's what he's joyful in, which flies right in the face of our culture, in the face of our world. John should be building a name for himself. John's ministry will never go anywhere if he doesn't try to get ahead, if he doesn't cut off where they're leaking, where are they going? Jesus, but my ministry. No, his ministry is Jesus' ministry. They coincide, they go together. He understands and he knows who Jesus is and it says that his joy is made complete in the fact of him getting smaller and Jesus getting bigger. I mean, what a way to live. What a, what, a, what a philosophy to live by. And we'll talk more about this here in a few moments, but look with me at verse 29 as we read it one more time. As it gets a bit dicey and confusing, let's just try to walk through and figure out what is John saying. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And so what's happening here is in verse 29, it reveals so much about who John the Baptist is. It reveals and it shows us real fast who John the Baptist is. It reveals much about his joy, much about his joy. And so church, we understand what joy is, right? Because there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is based on circumstances and situations, uh, on things going well and what we would define as well and good. That's what, we, that was, that's what brings happiness. And the goofy dumb illustration that I always give you all the time when we talk about happiness and joy is simply this, is that of the West Virginia Mountaineers. I mean, I'm a Mountaineer fan. And we always do so good like the first three games in while we're playing those AAA high school teams. You know what I'm saying? And we dominate them. Like we rock them. And so we think that, okay, we, probably me, I'm the only one that thinks that this is our year. And then what happens? We get into the Big 12. And, yeah. <laughs> Maybe another Mountaineer fan out there. See me after service. I would love to pray together. Um, and so we get into the meat of our schedule. We may win like the first or second Big 12 game because we play like one of those schools that's not their basketball schools. And so we beat their football team. And then we get in there and we play the meat of our schedule and we lose, 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 lose. I'm like, oh, are we even gonna make a bowl game? They do it to me every year, you know? Like I'm the biggest fan, I'm loving, like I'm painting my chest at home for the TV, like screaming at it, going crazy. And then they lose, 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 lose. I'm just like, let's go Clemson. <laughs> they win. It's not a shot at Carolina fans. They win more than the Mountaineers too, so okay? So anyways. And, and, and it's crazy because like I've noticed at times like it will emotionally like just drain me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I've never even played one down for them. I, I've, never even, I've never even invested. I didn't practice not one day at summer camp. I, none of that stuff. I've just got a t-shirt and I'm from the state. 
I didn't even go to school there. And, I'm, and it wrecks me, and I'm just like, good night. See, see that's crazy, but that's what happiness does. It promises us stuff, and it builds us up only to leave us depleted and empty. By circumstances and situations, but not joy. Church, not joy. Joy is a deep-seated contentment regardless. That's what joy is. And joy can only be found in that of Jesus and that of a right relationship with who Christ is. Who cares if a mountaineer's lose? You know why? Because I get eternity with God. I get eternity with Jesus. Who cares if my house burns down? Who cares if I lose all? Who cares if my car runs over a ditch and bursts into flames? Who cares about that stuff? Because I get Jesus at the end of the day, regardless of what happens circumstantially in my life. Regardless of what happens or who comes in or who goes out or, or whatever, I get Jesus is what I get. That's where true joy is found in a right relationship with who Christ is. That's where joy is found. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. And hear me, he would never be able to land at the fact of joy, at the place of joy if he didn't understand who he was and who Jesus was. And hear me, neither will you. You'll never be a joy-filled person if you haven't put Christ in his rightful place. Because all it'll take is a circumstance, all it'll take is a situation, all it'll take is the wind blowing just the wrong way to upset or disrupt or disturb. John the Baptist lets us know about his joy, and he does it here in verse 29 when he says, the friend, who's the friend? The friend is John here. So, so the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend here is John. He's the one who has the bride. And the bridegroom is Jesus. That's who it is. And who, who stands and hears his voice greatly rejoices in the bridegroom's voice. Who's that? That's John. John is talking about his relationship with Jesus. It's me that hears his voice. It's me that rejoices in hearing his voice because I'm his friend. I am his friend and he is the bridegroom and he takes me to be his. I'm the bride. I know who I am. Therefore, as a result of all that John says here in verse 29, he says, this joy of mine is complete. It's complete. What do we know about complete? Complete is being made whole. That's satisfaction beyond our wildest imagination. And it's not talking about a bank account. It's not talking about a, a, a promotion. It's not talking about a, a, a relationship outside. No, it's talking about the reality of who Jesus is and his relationship with John the Baptist. And so those are some pretty heavy words, are they not? Some pretty big words here. Rejoice greatly. The joy of mine is now complete, satisfied, made whole. And so what do we see in the scriptures? We see the bridegroom getting all the attention. It's all about Jesus, John is aware that it's all about Jesus. And John seems to be fine, seems to be completely connected. It seems to bring more joy to his life. And so what has happened here is the voice of the bridegroom has been replaced by the voice crying in the wilderness. John's voice has been muted, has been pushed aside. Why? So the voice of the one that supersedes that voice is made known. So what do we know about the voice that supersedes John's voice, the one crying out in the wilderness, is that this voice raises the dead. Physically and spiritually. That's what this voice does. The other voice just points to the one who can. That's what John's voice is. Points to the one who can do all of these things that the greatest voice we've ever, that we've never heard has ever said. But he can raise the dead. This voice is known by all the sheep and they follow. That's what Jesus says. They'll hear my voice 
They will follow. See, this voice woos and wins the bride. See, the bride knows her husband, and the bride goes to her husband. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about those who have been awakened to the reality of their great need for their Savior, and they have entered into a relationship by faith. They go. So many today would, would probably say that the response here of John, as he exalts Jesus, that this is probably a little incomprehensible. But all of this is connected to the reality of the next verse. All of this hinges and, and lies right with verse 30. So let's look at it and pay close attention to the must of this verse as it's part of God's desire. Verse 30, another well-known scripture. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John's saying there needs to be more of him and less of me. His voice needs to be much louder than mine. He must increase. The Son of God, the bridegroom, needs to be exalted, needs to be made much of. He will be glorified. He will increase in the eyes of man, and that's God's plan. That's God's desire. That's what God wants. And so this reality is contrary to our human nature, is it not? It flies in the face of all we are and all that we stand for. And that's why John the Baptist rejoices with great joy and calls his joy finally full. Because John understands and knows that he can't, he can't uh, uh, survive that kind of pressure. He can't sustain under that kind of weight. So what does John do? He takes a back seat. He takes a back seat to the one who deserves all honor, to the one who deserves all glory. That's what John does. And the scripture gives us this upside down logic compared to that of this world. No, build a name for yourself. No, make much of you. Look at what you did. Lift yourself up. Uh, you should have accolades. You should have pats on the back. You should, you should blare it everywhere. Show off your trophies. Show off your earnings. You've worked hard. You deserve it. And John says, no, we should be silent. Because in our loudness, it distracts and takes away from the one that deserves all the praise and all the glory. So this is an upside down logic. I mean, think about it for a moment. Look at who we've been talking about, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what do we know about him? Well, he lives in the wilderness. He wore camel skin for clothing and consumed a diet of locusts. I would imagine he probably ate a frog or two. Uh, yeah, gross. Wild honey, so he ate locusts and wild honey. That, that, was, that was just made up. I don't know if he did frogs or not, but... But look at what Jesus says about him. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus declares in Matthew eleven eleven that there is no one greater that had been born among humanity. So you think you're good. Jesus never said that about you. Jesus never said that about me. As good as we think we are, I mean, when you've got from the lips of the Messiah, the lips of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who says, no, no this dude, something to be reckoned with. He's the best of anybody that's ever been. And like the Apostle Paul, like we just learned about Apostle Paul all week in vacation Bible school. And he, I mean, he was, he was stout when it came to the faith. But Jesus never said that about John. I mean, the Apostle Paul. But from the lips of Jesus, he says there will never be, and there's no one greater that's ever been born. But see, John didn't, John didn't receive praise due to his own accomplishments. No, 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 that's, that's not why. No, no, John received praise, not because of that, but because he sought in every way to make great the name of Christ without claiming any recognition of his own. 
I mean, he just got a few chapters and then he dies. I mean, I mean, Paul had 13 books. John just has a few chapters. And that's what Jesus says about him. And even in this moment, it just reveals so much about his character, does it not? John, why they're leaving us and going to him. They're going to Jesus. And John's like, yes, that's it, absolutely. He doesn't throw a pout fit. He doesn't get upset. It doesn't mess up the plans at all. He's like, yes, that's the way it should be. Church, that should be us. That should be our heart. That should be our mentality. That should be the way that we live. Yes, let him go to Jesus. We should point them to Jesus all the more. See, he sought in every way to make great the name of Christ. No recognition of his own. He didn't need it. He didn't care. Should be our heart. N.T. Wright, he says this. He describes our role in the story of God by saying this. He says this, just this mammoth man of the faith, N.T. Wright. He says, the earth goes around the sun. He says, Jesus is the hero of the play. And we are the bit part players. We come on for a moment, say one word, and we disappear again, proud to have shared his stage, and for a moment, just been a tiny part of his action. See, N.T. Wright, same heart as John the Baptist, he understands that the show's not about him, the leading role will never be his, we get to share the stage but for a moment, and the way that we share the stage is to point people to the star of the show, that's Jesus. To point people to the one that deserves all the accolades, all the praise. He gets every award, not us. Every, our award, reward, whatever it is, it is eternity with him. And hear me, that's enough. That's enough. John the Baptist understood that. See, our life has great value, not by storing up our own accolades, but by turning our focus to the hero of the story, and that's Jesus. You want your life to stand for something? You want to be a better dad this morning? You point your kids and your family to Jesus. Everything. You pray about everything. You seek the Lord in everything. You tell your kids about Jesus. You tell your wife about Jesus. You have conversations about Jesus. You, you want to play a part in the story? That's our part. We're just supporting characters is all we are. And the beautiful thing about this story is he doesn't even need supporting characters. He doesn't need us, but out of his grace, mercy, love, he allows us to play a part. And so that's what we see John doing here. And so John is finally, he is here, and the one I've been telling you about, this Jesus, it's him. Yes, you should go to him. Yes, you should make a big deal about him. We always need to make a big deal about Jesus, church. We always need to make a big deal about Jesus. So I will kiss a million frogs if, if that means that I have a week to be able to stand in front of some kids and tell them about Jesus and make a big deal about Jesus and make a big deal about offering like I just remember last year having the conversation with my boys we'd go in and we'd pull out his little piggy bank and we'd get his baggie full and we'd fill it up with with coins and we'd bring it in and then at the end of the week we're driving home Thursday night last year and as we're driving home uh, uh, my oldest boy Brody says okay dad he's like where's my money and I'm like what he's like you know all my change that I brought when do I get that back I'm like, but this is a, um, there's no, no refunds on this one he's like what's that mean I said, well, buddy, and you know what? I had the, the greatest opportunity to be able to share with my boy what an offering was. Well, buddy, remember how dad stood up there and said, hey, I know we're getting crazy and goofy and we're weighing it and we're trying to get the girls versus the boys. 
which I haven't got the trustees to buy in yet. I'm doing that on a Sunday morning, but it, it'll come. I, I, just, I just think, I mean, it'll get crazy. No, but honestly, I had the opportunity to just kind of talk to my little boy and kind of help, hopefully, by the Holy Spirit, shape and mold his little heart about what offering was. No, buddy, you're giving that to the church. And I think we took in almost $1,000 or maybe a little over $1,000 last year. And so I had that conversation. With them, you give that to Jesus. And as you give that to the church, to Jesus, then, then they decide uh, where that money should be invested in our community, where we get to go and we get to take, take the name of Jesus and the light of Jesus and we need to get to tell people about Jesus. So this year, that money that's been raised, and God bless Don and Larry for counting all of that and rolling all of that and getting us all that, we're gonna see how much we brought in and it's gonna go to help Jerusalem Project where we get to step into lives of people this summer and we get to invest in them and we get to build ramps and we get to paint and we get to clean up yards and we get to go to schools and clean up and do things and help support our local school systems and people in our community. We get to do all of that and be the hands and feet of Jesus and that's just an inroad to be able to do what John the Baptist is talking about, making much of Jesus. And so just great opportunities. So we'll always, always be about, a being, about being a big deal for Jesus in everything we do. Children's, that's why we had the children up here singing this morning. That's why we had the youth up here singing this morning. We wanna make a big deal about you. We wanna celebrate who Jesus is in you and make a big deal about the things that we need to make a big deal about. Because when we do that, God gets honor and glory and praise. That's what worship is. So we always need to make a big deal about Jesus. Dads, moms, kids, everybody. That needs to be our life goal. Make a big deal, make everything about him. Everything, all the time, everything that we do should point people to him. The way we act, the way we talk, the way we parent, the way we work, the way we love, the way we play, the way we discipline, all of those things should point to the reality of who Jesus is and show who Jesus is. And so when we do that, when we become small and insignificant in the eyes of the world, that is our rightful place. And that's where God will use us the most. That's where he'll use us the most. So I, just, I love that verse, it's a very small verse. As John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so I thought to myself, how, how can I illustrate that? How, how can I show that a little bit this morning? Because the reality is this, is the moment that we're born, we make it all about us all the time, do we not? All the time. And you would think that we would outgrow that the older we got and the more we matured, but we don't. We still fight that nature, do we not? So we still like the accolades, we still like to make it about us and our conveniences. Why don't I get this or why don't I get that? Or they never asked me about that. Or they never, uh, they never uh, emailed me back or they never called me or I wasn't invited to this or to that or, or, or just, man, I want it my way. We got like that Burger King mentality. I just want it my way, fix it my way, do it my way, how I want it, how I need it, all of those kinds of things. We just, that, that's just our heart and our mentality, is it not? And, it's, and it happens right from the very beginning, right at, right at birth. And it just, if we don't kill that part of us, It'll fill us, will it not? It'll fill us. In a life like this, all you can see is the stuff. All you can see is what sticks out. The world knows if life's about us or if it's about someone greater than us. They can see and they're aware, they know. So John says, I must decrease. Why, because if I don't decrease, he won't increase. 
If it's all about me, my wants, my likes, my tastes, all of this stuff about me, 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 my, 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 then they'll truly never get to see who Jesus is or know or understand who he is. And John, man, what a heart. What a heart to say, no, it's not about me. And so the only way that we can do that and empty ourselves of that is to put Jesus in. It's to feel, this was supposed to work, there we go, come on baby, roll, rise. It's just feel Jesus, and the way we do that is through, through time in the word. The way we do that is through serving a church. The way we do that is through accountability. The way we do that is through praying, reading more of the word. The way we do that is by serving all the more, putting more. The more Jesus we put in, look at what happens, church. The more Jesus we put in, the more of us that comes out. I mean, is that not a beautiful thing? The more of Jesus that we just fill ourselves with, the more of Jesus we put in, so coming and serving, giving our life away, giving our finances, giving our, all of those kinds of things, serving the kids, serving in those positions and places that, that nobody else maybe would, giving a week away for Jerusalem Project, all of those things, what does it do? It, just, it helps continue to just empty me of me. And the more I do that and the more I spend time in the Lord, think about, meditate on, the more of Jesus they'll see. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. That's what he's telling us. Empty me of me so that I can be filled by him. Get me out of the way. Because whenever, whenever there's a lot of me, it's evident. You can see it. And what I know is that the world don't need a lot of me. The world needs a lot of Jesus. And the only way we do that is by spending time with him, is by begging him and praying and asking him to help me, help me, hear me, it's a battle, church. It's a fight. I mean, it is a constant battle. And it's one that we're gonna fight till the day we die. I just believe with everything in me, God's good grace allows us to battle and to fight because what I've learned is this, in that we become more dependent upon him, in that we become more uh, in love with him, in that we run to him more. And so he's gonna allow us to battle and he's gonna allow us to fight with the flesh because in that what it does is it forces us to him. So as the band comes back up this morning, as we close out, see John is helping people see Jesus for who he truly is. John's desire is that men and women turn to the Savior. By all means that they will go, to, yes, go to Jesus. Be with, yes, he's the star. Yes, I'm doing it right. Yes, they're getting it. They're leaving me and they're going to the one that can do anything about everything. Yes, the first and only way, hear me church, the first and only way that we can ever decrease so that he can increase is to be saved and be found in him. You'll never get to this point right here if you're not his. Because life will always be about you, your wants, your desires your longings, what makes you happy, what, what brings you whatever. If you're not his, you'll never be able to do this. I mean, you, you may be able to kind of fake it, you may be able to get by about it a little bit, but the reality is deep down, the motive is always for self. So the first and only way that we decrease so that he can increase is by being found in him, being saved, being born again, as Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter three. And so Jesus gets the utmost faith, I mean, utmost praise and honor when people come to him by faith. And so when they come to Jesus and they ask him to be their Lord and Savior, what they're saying is I'm no longer number one. Life's no longer about me. 
and they see their great need for him and they want to be made right with God. And so maybe for some of us in the room this morning, that's the first step of being emptied. Maybe for some of us in the room this morning, that's the first step of decreasing so that he can increase. As you finally enter into a relationship with Jesus and put him in his rightful place, allow him to take center stage and be all that he's proclaimed and promised to be. And the second way that we decrease so that he can increase is by pointing people to Jesus. So once, once this happens and we become his, then what do we do? We just tell everybody we can about Jesus. We just make a big deal about Jesus. Uh, look at what Jesus did last week in the hearts of 85 kids. In, they came to, we didn't even go to them, they came to us. I mean, that's cheating, church, you know that, right? We throw up a crazy fun week, throw Jesus in the middle of it, and they come to us. We didn't even have to go to them. We had opportunity to love on, we had opportunity to share, we had opportunity to act and tell the story of Jesus through the Apostle Paul, make little crafts, have conversation, feed their little bellies. And what does that do in the hearts of kids toward the church, toward Jesus? Man, only time will tell. Only time will tell. So we do everything we can to say, to, for him to, for us to decrease and for him to increase his point, people to Jesus, we witness and we tell others what we know to be true about Christ. We tell what he's done for us. We tell the reality of the cross. See, John is the necessary witness who is not the Christ. And so what we know is faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. And so it's us that get to go proclaim. It's us that get to go live out the word of God. And so our witness is a great necessity. But our witness is a great not, is what it is. It's a not about me, witness. No, it's about the one that is the star of the show. And that's why John lands at the place that I must decrease so that he can increase. So my question for you is this. Are you making a big deal about Jesus? Are you making a big deal about Jesus? Or are you making a big deal about you? And how will you this very day, in this moment right now, determine in your heart, because if you don't do it now, you won't do it later. If you don't set in your heart now and beg the Holy Spirit and beg God to work and do a work in you whereby you, you squash who you are so he can become alive all the more, then you'll never do it. What will you do this very day to decrease so that he may increase? God, help us this morning in this place to be less of us and more of you. God, help us to live by faith. Help us to live a life like John modeled for us and shows us right here in, in your word. God, move and speak in this place. Save the lost. God, we pray that. Maybe those in this place this morning that think they're yours that are not or those that have come in this morning knowing that they're not yours but they need you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken that reality in them and that you would draw them to yourself and save them. And for those in this room this morning, and when I say those, I'm including myself, God, those that are a little too full of us. God, help us empty ourselves so we can be filled by you. Help me decrease so that you can increase. God, it's a difficult, painful thing to do, but God, it's needed and it's worth it. God, may we land at the place that John landed, that our joy may be made complete. And the way that that happens is by seeing you be made much of. God, work in this place this morning. In your name we pray, amen. They're gonna lead us. If you'd stand, if you need to come pray, if you just want to sit there and think about all that God said to you maybe this morning in this place, whatever God leads you to do in this time of response, you be obedient to the Holy Spirit.